and welcome to the Business Expresso Podcast. I am Laura Lehmann, your host, and I'm here to give you all business-related news, what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how does it affect your lives. Very simple, very straightforward, and without sugarcoating. Just so you know all the things you're supposed to know, but don't have the time to know fully. Let's go. Today, I'm going to talk about the man of the decade, the chairman of social media, Mr. Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, highly known personality, co-founder and CEO of the social network that introduced a new era into tech, Facebook. This man has been since day one under the eye of the hurricane. The amount of conflicts, his simple, yet so innocent, yet so terrible website has created is absurd. And today we're going to talk about each and every one of them. Nah. Most of them, because if we dedicated to talk about every one of them, it'll take me forever. Summarize so you know why Facebook has so much backlash, what's the whole deal with the data, and why you should be more careful every time you consent to terms and conditions. Let's get started. If for some reason you have been living under a rock over the past 15 years, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a background about who this guy really is. He's an American 36-year-old, whole genius, Harvard dropout, and the seventh richest person in the world. Anything else to add? Well, this guy with only 19 years created the Facebook, the 1.0 version of it. And yeah, it had the at the beginning. And that is what is known in history, right? Well, if anyone watched the movie The Social Network with the hunks James Ainsworth, they might know that the ownership history is a bit more complicated. There are four more characters in this story, and I'll try to make it a bit more accurate than Hollywood. The first character of this story is the other co-founder. Less known, and as he says, by choice, is Eduardo Saverin, 38-year-old Brazilian and not as a surprise, part of the billionaires list. However, not entirely because of Facebook. As the old story tells, this guy was his classmate in Harvard. They worked together and he was apparently the financial officer and business manager of, of the beginnings of Facebook. Saverin's high knowledge in investment because he was the head of investment society business and apparently use of suits in class was enough to convince Zuckerberg to let him pay $50,000 for the server to Facebook.com with other business expenses. And as we all know, since the launch in 2004, the platform has been a success. So what went wrong? Uh, well, a lot of things, but principally, and to put it simple, different intentions. Severin and Mark moved to different places. Severin moved to New York and Mark to Palo Alto, looking to expand and manage the business model for Facebook. While Severin was in New York, he created an app called Jabuzel, which was a platform that allowed students and companies' representatives to meet and, I guess, find a job. Zuckerberg intended to do this with Facebook being a student-only based platform at the beginning and saw this as a betrayal. Yet the problem, the peak of the problem was when he decided to run ads on Facebook without authorization. Or better, without Zuckerberg's authorization. Added this with the what he called a lack of compromise with the business, given that Eduardo hadn't received any type of uh, negotiations and affords to the financial part of the business. After all of that happened, the movie did get some things on point. Justin Timberlake, sorry, CM Parker, co-founder of Napster, joined in. 
got the funding that Zuckerberg wanted, and this step made it a final choice for Zuckerberg to leave Sabrin out. The idea was to reduce Sabrin's stake in the Facebook. How? Creating a new company, buying the Facebook, and then redistributing the shares to everyone except Sabrin. This was very clearly, and he was notified that it was going to lead to a lawsuit, and it still went through. For the sake of clarity, I'm going to put this in the timeline. So, September 2004. From the purchase, the shares of Eduardo went from 30 to 24%. In October that year, as Eduardo signed a shareholder agreement that gave him 3 million shares of common stock in the new company, he also gave away all his voting rights to Mr. Zuckerberg, making him the only chief in that office. By 2005, Facebook issued 9 million shares of common stock, meaning that Sabrin's stake was below 10%, which only meant he was out. As predicted, the lawsuit came, saying that when Mark decided to travel to Palo Alto and Sabrin was back in New York, he used all his first investment of $50,000 in personal and party expenses. Which might be true. There was a whole idea to expose this guy with Hollywood, publishers, books, etc. Yet, the final settlement made him shh, no more press. He was named co-owner and now his very tiny investment compared of $15,000 is worth more than $4 billion. This guy now lives in Singapore to avoid taxes that the American citizenship, citizenship forced him to pay, launched a fundby capital and turned out alright. Yet, and in common terms, Zuckerberg did fuck him. What about the husky twins in the movie, also known as Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss? The whole deal with them is that apparently they came up with this Harvard social network idea, basically the same model as Facebook 1.0, but it was called Harvard Connection. But because they didn't know how to program it, they asked Zuckerberg, who got this huge reputation after he did this website with students could qualify if a person was hot or not. So basically what he did was from the database of Harvard, hack it, steal the pictures of like their carnets or like their student ID, and uh, people can just go to the website and qualify it. Terribly sexist, horrible idea, Harvard knocked it out, but he did gain a good reputation of building really cool websites. And through verbal agreements and back and forth emails, apparently Zuckerberg was helping the twins. This was back in 2003. By 2004, when Facebook was launched, and these guys started to notice what was happening, uh, they made a lawsuit for creative stealing, and it resulted in the following. Because they won, they won 65 million divided in 20 million in cash, and 45 million worth of Facebook shares in the major Hollywood movie. Yet, this was not the end of the story, because in 2008, they filled another lawsuit arguing that Facebook misled, misled them over the true value of the stocks. The judge denied this lawsuit because he said basically, look, your dad is a genius, you two seem quite smart, and you had a whole team of lawyers and like business people around you supporting and understanding what you were agreeing to. It's impossible that they were able to misled everyone of your team. So they agreed, they kept the 24, 20, 2004 settlement, and now they're quite well. They're the first well-known Bitcoin billionaires and they created a cryptocurrency called Gemini. And of course, they created this huge-ass movie. So that makes three characters. What about the fourth one? And this guy, let me tell you, is quite a twist on Facebook drama. 
This guy was named, or is named, Paul Seglia. On 2010, he claimed that he had 84% of ownership of Facebook. And apparently, this was an agreement he made with Zuckerberg in 2003. He provided emails, conversations, and proof. Mr. Zuckerberg did admit he worked for Seglia on StreetFacts.com, which was like another business this other man had, but had no relationship with Facebook at all. The court finally determined that the proof was fake. All his representatives left the case, and it all seems to point an end, right? Well, in 2012, he was charged with fabricating evidence, of course, to his lawsuit. By 2015, they discovered he removed his GPS tracking device. He literally put it in a fan, so it seemed like he was moving, <laughs> well, around the house, and then they had to issue a warrant for his arrest. He was later found in Ecuador in 2018, and he was arrested. Yet, in 2020, he was freed and denied the U.S. extradition request. His wife had a kid, so now he's allowed to stay by the Ecuador rulings, and there's this whole political situation between Ecuador and the United States, meaning they don't want to leave him there. So it's all like, like a very gray area of what's going to happen with him. And so yeah, that's his life, and that's why I think he didn't make it to the movie. So, just so we're clear, this is only ownership drama I've been talking about. And believe me, it, this is a long run. What is the deal with the privacy settings? Well, Facebook has over a long decade of long track incidents showing how there's a lack of measures to protect everyone's data. So, when we talk about advertising, it's what makes it a business, a profitable business. So Zuckerberg makes money by showing you ads. And it's not a mistake, it's usually something you like or you might like, it's programmed to get to you. The algorithm, based on likes and dislikes, understands you, profiles you, and targets you. The intention of an ad is to create consumers, to connect consumers with the businesses. And if it's... So when everyone started commenting, oh, every time I buy something or look it up, it gets recommended to me 20 times more over the day on my Facebook page, that's very odd. Well, it's not that odd, and it's because the algorithm started to change. So, as a business, Facebook started to understand that consumers preferred personalized ads, which is completely normal, because the intention of an ad is to target the right customer and reach and help the business grow. If I get an ad about tires, I'll probably never look at it, because I don't have a car and I don't care about tires. So, it won't be as effective. As Facebook understood this, they started implementing different systems. The first one was in 2007, which is a system named Biacon. Biacon? Okay, that name. Where external website information got to Facebook and could be included in their ads and targets. All the information included their action, uh, their users, their purchases, the likes and dislikes. And this created a huge scare in Facebook users. To be fair, nobody quite understood how that worked, how Facebook worked. So when everyone started finding out they were getting the data and seeing how social media was reaching them, they started scaring, getting scared. They didn't know how Facebook could access all that information, for how long it was stored, and what it meant for the past four years they have been using this platform. Despite the intention of being a more personalized service, uh, Zuckerberg did have to apologize for his actions. And guess what? 
There was a lawsuit and the program was done with a $9.5 million settlement fund. And many more issues like this have appeared over the years. For example, you can tag a person in a picture because of the face recognition was available and people start to freak out of how they could use that facial recognition um, to do certain and manipulate your information. Creepy as it sounds, it was overlooked by the fact that you could just turn off this option, which the option always appeared and it was always available, but making it a very more transparent and clear option would have avoided so many issues. However, the truly turning point for Facebook and data privacy was with the Cambridge Analytical scandal in 2014. And oh gosh, was this a big one. So this guy, Alexander Kogan, he worked as a research and consultant for Facebook from 2013 to 2015. And this is a key point. While he was a senior research associate at Cambridge University, he created a DARPA harvesting called This Is Your Digital Life app, which basically was a quiz that overall seemed basic and fine, just some personality questions, those you typically say agree, kinda agree, disagree, blah blah blah. What these did was predict a range of personality attributes, including your sexual orientation, your ethnicity, religious and political views, personal traits, even intelligence and happiness, use of addictive substances, your parents' parental status, age and gender, and a whole more things. You could actually earn up to $5 making it, and yet the only requirement was to log in with your Facebook page. And this is where things get tricky. What he did was combine the results of the personality test plus the information on your Facebook, especially your likes, and gather all that information and send it to the data meaning firm called Cambridge Analytica, which coincidentally worked with Trump's presidential campaign at the time. Then combining all that data, previous voting records, people were profiled, and not only those who did the test, but also their Facebook friends and they were all targeted for a political advertising, which reached more than 87 million Facebook users. That's one-fourth of Facebook users. Now, this is not the first time it actually happened. In 2012, Obama campaign did similar things. The difference is that one let the others know what was happening when they did the test or gave the information, and one they knew they were given information. Facebook said that this wasn't a data breach because, of course, there was no hacking into people's profiles or stealing passwords, but Facebook did make it, easy, make it easy for the company to access it, so people started to wonder how secure their privacy data was. The whole thing unravels and Mr. Zuckerberg did apologize, a bit late may I add, but still, the issue, the data. So three years later, it was discovered that Facebook knew about this 27 months before it happened, before everyone started knowing. And they didn't tell anybody because apparently they deleted the app of Cambridge Analytica and they were forced to delete all the information they gathered. But further investigation demonstrated that that didn't happen. So of course this case went to hearing and there were some questions that flagged up more than others. Now, when I come in on Kurt, I will also like to give a bit of a background of the congressperson who is talking. 
from the most relevant question, questions, one was from Senator Bill Nelson, which is a member of the Democratic Party, and he did mention how Mr. Sandberg, which is another important character in this story because he's like the businessman of Facebook, he's the in charge of all business-related situations, said that in an, said in an interview that it would be necessary for Facebook users who don't want their personal information to be used for advertising to pay a low cost. This to me was a bit of a misinterpretation of um, what Mr. Sandberg said because maybe he wanted to guide that conversation that way but it was obvious that and as I explained to you if a business runs an ads and it stops producing their first source of income they're gonna need it from other ways. So that might have been the, the payment he was trying to talk about. Clearly, Zuckerberg also tried to defend this point of view. He said that people preferred personalized ads, and the only reference in pain is that if there were no advertising, this is not an option, like in any situation over the years, this has never been an option, but that's what he referred to. Because Facebook should still rely on a sort of income. <laughs> Further, in 2019, and I bring it up to topic because it, even if it was, they were testifying before the, Facebook was testifying before the House Financial Services Committee when Facebook wanted to create a cryptocurrency. And the Congresswoman AOC, also known as Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, recalled the following information. She is also part of the Democratic Party, may I add. Uh, I may fail to copy her words, but something went like that him, Mr. Zuckerberg, of all people would appreciate using a person's past behavior in order to determine, predict, or make decisions about future behavior, recalling about how they might act with the cryptocurrency. Uh, along the hearing, he avoided questions such as uh, if Facebook can track user activity even after the user has logged off. How can Facebook track across different devices, even if in one device you don't have it, you're not logged into Facebook? Who is, biggest, who is Facebook's biggest competition? And whether Facebook knew of Cohen's information breach in 2016? Now, this is where we all became aware that Facebook knew 27 months before the scandal came up and that he did not notify um, the consumers because uh, they thought the data was avoided, the data was deleted. Now, further along in another hearing, further along in the hearing, Kamala Harris, now current vice president of the United States and part of the Democratic Party, also asked a similar question and said that if anyone in Facebook had a conversation where the decision was made to not contact the users. Apparently, Mr. Zuckerberg forgot and didn't remember, didn't want to respond, quite avoidive, and said that in retrospective, uh, there was a mistake and knowing that they should have handled things a lot better. So, Camila Harris has had a long history with social media. Since 2012, there was an agreement with Apple, Amazon, Google, Hewlett Packard, Microsoft, and Research Motion, which kind of obligated the apps that when they sold different. Um, apps in the play store whether it's apple store or play store from samsung they had to provide uh, privacy policies informing users on how their information was going to be shared what kind of what kind of information was going to be shared and if they agreed to this facebook joined later that agreement 
October 25 of 2018, Facebook was fined with £5,000 by the UK's Information Commissioner Office because of the role in Cambridge Analytica scandal. Now, this happened because apparently Cambridge Analytica was also linked to a lot of pro-Brexit campaign ads and that might have had an influence on the result. To understand, this is the maximum fine amount permitted by the Data Protection Act of 1998, so it's a huge a lot of money. Facebook since then has been notifying all of their users of how their data was collected for Cambridge Analytica and um, they can see how their data is shared by going to the Facebook help page. They apparently are, were also or also developing a clear history button which uh, allows them to delete all their database record of you. But there's not very specifics about how this works and of course as soon as you log back in, you create data again, you set a new cookie and it's all very vicious cycle that doesn't end. <laughs> so basically if you want my opinion and you'd want to know how Facebook handles your data to this date, the best option you have and to this date and any date, the best option you have is you can go to Facebook Terms of Service, read the data policy, the cookie policy and just understand what the heck is going on. Another character, and quite important may I add, is a whole country, Russia. So what happened apparently was that during the 2016 elections, there were approximately 126 million Facebook users exposed to fake advertising that influenced the, um, that intended to influence elections, with more than 80,000 posts from Russian link activity. And Facebook earned around $1,000 for those advertisements in 2017. What happened was that this advertising highlighted racial tension, gun policy, and other different and various topics that caused disagreement and division in that country. Facebook at the time wasn't aware that social media had such an impact on people's decision in elections, so they didn't anticipate that fake news would just put it in a post and it's going to have was going to have such a huge role in the elections. So Russians did demonstrate a political preference, and they started sharing information all over Facebook and all other social media through accounts and bots, but the problem was when people started commenting and reposting all this type of information, making massive reactions to all these fake news. And the governments, as well we all know, are bound to spend money on influencing president elections, yet 21 states were targets during this false advertising situation. and. It might have an influence on the decision making. The problem is that four years ago, so 2016, Facebook did nothing to stop it. So these bots and these ads created fake rallies, helped divide the American public even more. Some say they even helped Donald Trump become president, and Facebook did not stop it. He actually said that the idea that Facebook ad had a role in the elections was crazy and that if there was an influence that fake news had on the election, it would be quite uncommon. Yet, he had to retract it because obviously there was an influence. So, how was 2020 election handled? Um, in Zuckerberg's word, according to past experience, they assured that everything was very well fact-checked, that there wouldn't be any updates about voters and political and social issues during the final week of campaign um, and that they couldn't be edited as well. There were 3,000 people 
to work on safety and security, AI systems that find harmful content in different networks that interfere, and apparently 89%, this data is from 2019, so I'm not quite sure if it's updated, um, 89% of the harmful content is deleted before anyone can see it. So it was a good start, but despite their good intents, the chief officer of Twitter and of course Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, had to stand on Tuesday 17 of November to testify again about allegations of anti-conservative bias on their platforms. It was basically to review how they handled the 2020 elections and how they handled um, censorship. So in this hearing, of course, there were both Republican Democrats, but they had different intentions of guiding the conversation into different points they wanted to touch. So Republican senators were particularly focused on how, how these platforms employ moderation and censorship. How obviously they talk about Trump and how they would manage after he was done with his president in January. Uh, how they would manage all the information he was providing. And of course, they talked about the bias there was about censoring, apparently, the conservative voices and that how their workforce and their political views of the workforce determined how um, and what kind of information was left for the public. Democrats, most um, of them were focused on whether the moderation could help prevent speed of hate speech and violence. So for example, some of them did mention that some pro-Trump groups organized on Facebook were intended to stop the count of votings in, vote votings in some states, and the group existed, they were removed, but it took a while for them to be removed. So they want to know how efficiently um, these tactics have worked in order to stop uh, hate and violence. But this sums up a point in the discussion and it's called for the reform of the Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. So the Law 230, which was passed in 1996, it says that an interactive computer service, aka Facebook, can't be treated as a publisher or speaker of a third-party content. This protects websites from lawsuits if users post something illegal, although there are exceptions for copyright violations, sex work related material, and, and or violations of federal criminal law. Basically, what it does is it doesn't make the platform responsible for what people post, right? There has to be limitations, there has to be restrictions, and there has to be conflict when someone does it, yet the platform itself is not responsible if it gets leaked out according to the section of 230 so people are trying to say okay this has to be reformed this has to be fixed because this was made in 1996 and it was talking about cell phones now we're talking about different type of platforms more advanced they're more complicated and more in depth with what people post Zuckerberg agreed said that this allowed uh and valued the freedom of expression of their users and how the platform operates. Changing it is a significant decision. However, I believe Congress should update the law to make sure it is working as intended. So that's the same I was saying. It's not the same platforms that were at the time the law came out. And this has caused most amount of conflict. So it's basically trying to define that when they reform it, who and how are gonna be the characteristics that allow censorship or who will determine what is allowed to be posted. 
So is Facebook a monopoly or not? Let's first get clear why this might be a problem. So not getting into textbook data, but for more understanding, when there is a monopoly, it means that there's exclusively one company running the whole industry, which can affect how low or how prices of the services and products can be, and how many options the consumers have, and how difficult it is for others to enter the market. So the concern about, it's not about being the largest in the market, the problem is how you got there, how the business outside the rest, and how it is abusing their current power. As we all know, Facebook is a very dominant platform. It threatens potential rivals, which under the government's eyes is not a very normal business practice. And it was said that, like I said before, the company thrives under data because that allows them to make ads and that's what monetizes their profit. Mm, but this company also uses this data to understand its competitors and they can either copy, acquire, or kill their rivals in order to succeed. You then add this very destructive model with Facebook and companies cannot thrive on their own and it can harm. Some people say democracy, I like to say it harms the consumer's choice. Now in Facebook, or in Zuckerberg's chase, case, um, he owns, in BBC News words, the four most downloaded apps of the decade. And you don't even need to like go and find this article, you can just see in your app store. It's always these five in the top, right? It's Facebook, it's Messenger, and then we have Instagram, which Zuckerberg purchased in 2012 for 1 billion, and WhatsApp, which he purchased in 2014. Uh, for 19 billion back. So back in July 2020, not so long ago, Apple, Google, Amazon CEOs, and of course Mark Zuckerberg were at the hearing about antitrust. So in the hearing, past emails of CEO Mark Zuckerberg made abundantly clear how this social network tends to operate with competition. And in some cases, it's buying the potential rivals app. So I quote from this to 2012 email from Mark Zuckerberg. Buying Instagram, Path, Foursquare, etc. now will give us one year or more to integrate their dynamic before they can anyone can get closer to scale again. Basically demonstrated that they buy the competition, they copy what they do, and there's no more competition to um, compete with. Their users are not going to have any other choice to know um, to not use what Zuckerberg owns. Yeah, so they demonstrated the intentions of buying competition in order to have none. For Instagram, for example, when they purchased it, it was, it was asked if they almost predicted the boom, yet they did. When they did it, no one trusted what was gonna happen because Instagram was still very small, very growing. When they bought it beforehand, it then exploded they were still under the ownership of Mark Zuckerberg. Then there's the other case. So basically, if not bought, copied. Aka Snapchat. So basically, when Insta stories appeared, no one loved them. I remember everyone hating these Insta stories. They're like, why are they copying them? And then the filters, who everyone used to love on Snapchat, the doggy, the rainbow one. 
and then suddenly they just started to appear on a right swipe on our home insta page now who uses snapchat very very low people. i have never seen snapchat used again so so Zuckerberg has this huge advantage and the name i have repeated it a thousand times in this episode is the data and of course added to the strong brand position it has it led to an inedible monopoly so just a random question out there who do you think is the competition of facebook and instagram oh wait those are the same maybe twitter uh or maybe tiktok but otherwise they're two different platforms and they have different mm, methods that really don't combine one each other now all of this becomes in a huge advantage to Zuckerberg they, he continues to regulate data he increases his user base which is constantly becoming far the largest than any other network and this directly discourages any type of competition his defense is usually he understands how people find value in different applications so he tries to adapt the features in the in his which is honestly the truth but when you see it under antitrust laws that means that he is killing copying the competition and making himself the only valuable inside the market now where's the issue So it all comes down to one term, consumer choice. And people should be allowed to determine if they like things or not. But at this moment, we're limited of platforms. And this is a completely new industry and it shouldn't be compared to other type of markets. But if consumers don't have the ability to define to choose if they like or something or not and change between options we have to follow whatever the monopoly is going with so just to put you like in an example it's a supermarket if you have two supermarkets that are the same distance from your house same prices but you prefer one just because it has better quality products or you just like the service more you can choose the other one even if the other one still exists. So if, I don't know, supermarket B decides to up their prices, you can still go to supermarket A because the prices are still down. Take one out and you're just out of options and you just have to follow whatever supermarkets that sell there decides to do with the market. So we've been lucky enough that Facebook and Instagram has decided not to put prices on, but if they were, us as consumers would be forced to pay it if we wanted to continue on social media unless other competitors came and put a price on or didn't put a price on and we were allowed to choose between those two it's quite complicated and we might not see the in-depth and the results of what happening uh, what's happening when there is a monopoly but the fact that many people don't enjoy when instagram updates but we still keep on going there it's just one of the results that because there's no more options we just have to settle for what they're giving us so that was today's episode and to be honest there was a lot of things i left out because 
the episode would be too long to edit and to hear. So I might make a second part of this, maybe more in depth of certain aspects I just left away. But I really enjoyed this topic. I really enjoy everything that has to do with technology and like the regulations that that there's behind. So if you're interested in hearing more of this, please let me know. As always, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy your dose of information. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Business Expresso underline pod. I am Laura Lehmann, and as always, it is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you next week. <laughs>